Join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hello, everybody. I hope everyone is uh, having an awesome day wherever you find yourself listening to this. I happen to be sitting in the sunshine in my car on a beautiful spring day. We've started spring break and we got lots of lots of reasons to be optimistic and happy. We're uh, we're getting outside. Old Bonhen has uh, pulled back some of our restrictions. I think we can do ten people. Sorry, Bonhen. That's Bonnie Henry. Her and I have um, nicknames for one another. I do feel like I know her at this point. So. I refer to her as Bon Hen and she's pulled back some of the restrictions, so that's good and we seem to be trending in the right direction. So yeah, lots of reasons to be happy. This morning, I have an incredible guest who I'm so excited to talk to, John Corey. He just received the John Armino Professional of the Year Award at our Fraser Valley AGM. You guys all know John, it's hard not to know John. John is just one of those guys. I don't know what else to say. You just want to be around him as much as you can. He's been in the industry forever and he's positive, knowledgeable, sharp, witty. He has an opinion on everything, gracious. He also has the ability to get pissed off. I like that about John. If he doesn't like something, he's not afraid to share his opinion and let you know why he thinks the way he does. And in my career of 18 years, John has played an integral role. He's just been one of those guys that I know I can always go to and lean on and depend on and ask advice of. And I just so appreciate John. So I was just elated last week when I got to see him uh, get that John Armino Award. It was so well-deserved. And now I get to hang out and podcast with him and hopefully uh, just get to give you guys a glimpse of how awesome John is if you don't know him in that way already. So yeah, it's going to be amazing. Uh, I, I normally don't write notes for these conversations. I like to go in cold and very conversation style. I got to say I was almost tempted to because there's so many things that I could, so many paths I could go down with John, but I've got it all rolling around in my head and I'm going to go note free because I want to just, you know, be, have it like him and I hanging out in the hallway, shooting the breeze, you know, talking whatever we want to talk about. So I'm going to dial him up now and uh, we'll get him on the line and we'll enjoy hanging out with John for a little bit. Hello, this is John Corey. I'm sorry I missed your call. Please leave a message and I'll return the call as soon as possible. After leaving a message, you can hang this up or press pound for more options. Your message will be transcribed and delivered to the recipient. So please speak clearly. Hey, John, it's Andrew. You and I are supposed to be podcasting together, man. <laughs> this is so awesome. Uh, you've probably got your phone on Do Not Disturb because that's what I asked you to do, and maybe now you're not hearing it ring. So I'll shoot you a text and try again. But if you get this message, do give me a call back. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. That is so awesome. I'm going to text John right now and uh, see what he's doing. I actually just talked to him a few minutes ago, and he said he was ready. But you know what? When you're John Corey, you can do whatever the heck you want. So uh, we'll shoot him a text and see if he responds here. Of course, it would be John who would do something like that. I've never had anybody stand me up. But you know what? If you're John Corey, maybe you stand somebody up because you can. 
<laughs> it's amazing. Let's give him another call. Maybe he didn't hear the, uh, maybe he didn't hear the first one. Oh, look at this. John's calling me. Here we go. Hello, hello. Hey, sorry, Andrew. I didn't, I've got it on vibrate. I went in, uh, <laughs> that's, I didn't hear it. That's, the, that's what I figured. I remember yesterday, I, I remember the last thing I said to you, I said, hey, John, put your phone on, do not disturb. And I thought, oh, that's what's gone on. Your phone's on silent. You can't hear me. Yeah, I've just, yeah, I've, I've been sitting here uh, I was for the last three or four minutes, and I just looked, and I see uh, I missed a call. Well, I missed another call, too, but <laughs> somebody was, uh, anyway, no problem. It's yeah. all good. We're here, we're here now. You know what? And uh, there's always more phone calls, right? There's, you know, you, you miss one, and there's, there's another one waiting in the wings. Yeah. No, that's it. We can't hide. That's that's a big difference from years ago. We controlled people couldn't get us because we didn't have cell phones or answering machines or pagers or beepers. Yeah. Hey, you uh you you said something. So let you just you just triggered something in my brain. Let's dive right into it. You just said something that that reminded me of something in your uh, speech of recently winning the John Armino Professional of the Year Award, which uh, has got to feel pretty awesome. You. You said something that that really struck me. You said, "How many? First of all, how many years have you been in this?" Well, I started. I was licensed in December 1967. Right. So we're talking. Holy cow! 67, 30. So 50. What is that? 54 years. And yeah, this is the 54th year. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I'm going to try to quote you here. You said, "The industry has changed a, a lot over the years, and technology has led the way." But then you said, but some things stay the same. And then you started to reference the people and the value they bring. Um, and you just, you just triggered that in my brain as you talked about, you know, technology. But maybe I should first start by asking you, who are some of the people uh, that stand out to you in your, in your, in your 54 years that you, uh, that you always remember? Well, there's, a, of course, a long list of them. Um, the, uh, you know... You know, true mentors, I guess. One would be Chuck Mitten, Mitten Realty. He uh, owned a brokerage that was on the North Shore, West Vancouver, North Van, Vancouver, and Burnaby, and, and, and Surrey. When I joined their firm, it was a very prestigious firm. It wasn't as large, and they were on the North Shore. He says, I'm going to teach you how to sell residential real estate. But he says, you have to read my book, uh, our uh, company book about how we represent people. And on the first page was, you have to treat everybody the way you want to be treated. He says, if you live by that rule, the best you can every day, you'll have a long and very, very good career. So that struck home to me. And uh, that's what I've tried to do. You know, I've met lots of realtors, Andrew, that, you know, helped me become a really good lister, because that's the basis of a really successful career is have the listings and, uh, you know, Morris Butler was a realtor on the North Shore, number two or three in the Vancouver board. And he took me out door knocking, which I didn't want to go. And I learned so much from him. He, I'm, I'm 21. He's in his late 50s. I couldn't keep up with him on the door knocking and uh, was really interested to see. And that's what he did. A few others, Alan Affleck, another one, uh, 25 phone calls a day. He started me on to uh, leads and listings. And I did that for years. Well, you, you started your career, you've referenced the North Shore. You started in Vancouver, right? 
and you've actually moved your way east over over your 54 years. That's right. I was licensed with Block Brothers, which were the big name at the time. Yeah. And uh, they did the training. I took the course. I passed it. Didn't have that great a start. Uh, actually, had a, got a listing in the in, in, in January. Working with a buyer, I made two sales on my birthday <laughs> that year, which is coming up next week. And a couple months later, they took me off the floor. They left and said that you were going to go get a job. The manager told me you're not going to be a realtor. Wow. And uh, so I ended up, went home. I was still living at home. My mother said, well, uh, you're a lot better than that. Uh, why don't you go out to Weber Brothers Realty in White Rock, Seymour McDonald. And my mother bought and sold real estate. And that's how I got interested in it. Talked to them. Uh, I'm sure you can you can do it if you want to. So, so I moved out to White Rock and I became member of the Westminster County Real Estate Board then. And so I was out in White Rock, rented a little house and was doing okay. And uh, Weber Brothers Realty was a big firm in Alberta in the prairies. And Jack Weber came out, who owned it, and the manager who was the commercial manager in Vancouver. And he uh, was talking to them and they said, what are you doing out here? You're a Vancouver boy. Come into Vancouver. Ed here, the manager, will teach you how to sell commercial real estate. So I actually spent a couple years downtown uh, leasing and and selling commercial real estate. Um, tough, tough uh, thing to learn. Yeah. And I ended up, uh, it's a long story. There's lots of uh, interesting stories. And I ended up deciding that I wanted to be a residential realtor and was referred to go over to meet Chuck Mitten. And so that's what I did around 1971 or so. And, uh, and eventually moved out to their office in Surrey. So in 19, in the early 70s, where, this is what I really want to get into with you. Where was the watering hole? Where did people, well, well give me the good stories. Where did people go hang out for a bevy af, after work? Tell me all the good spots. Well, uh, in, in Surrey, well, in Vancouver, of course, you were, uh, I never, the people I was hanging out that I worked with were all in their 40s and 50s. I'm it was originally wasn't old enough to go into a bar because I was only 19 and 20. It was 21 years of age at that time. Yeah, it was. Uh, they would always end up at the Bayshore Inn or the Vancouver Hotel, uh, the fanciest restaurants in town, and I just tagged along. You know, I was a. I mean, I'm born in, in a rental house, East End kid, bit out of my uh, how I grew up, but I just followed along and got led astray a bit. Um, there was a group that was formed that I was part of for many years. It was called Realtors of the Roundtable. And every Friday, um, there was from anywhere from three or four to 10 or 20 realtors show up in Chinatown to have lunch. Oh, that sounds amazing. And that went on for even after I moved out to Surrey and even after I moved out to Abbotsford. If it wasn't weekly, it was every Chinese New Year. Uh, some of the realtors that came there that become my friends and say most of them were way older than I was, um, were major realtors in the, in the Vancouver market uh, or major property owners, you know, several, you know, from Robinson street to Richmond. Uh, these people were the who's who of uh, investment realtors. Yeah. They all became my friends. And that was an interesting group. We, uh, everybody is, I think um, there's a few left, but they're all in their eighties. I think one just turned 80, um, and I may be the only realtor in that group still going, I think. Really? But that, that was a, a interesting uh, to be all part of that. 
Realtors, that, I've never heard you, I mean, I've known you for 20 years or almost 20, I've never heard you mention that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, no, it was. And, and you talk real estate and uh, you, be, you all became friends. And then the uh, special dinners, the, real, the, the Chinese New Year, and sometimes a few others during it, because one of my friends uh, uh, owned several Chinese restaurants. So he would put on an event and everybody would show up. So you'd bring your significant other along. And uh, it was lots of really good, honest, fun. And we're all realtors. Uh, in different stages of our careers. Well, who had the best uh, realtor open parties in your time? Who's the, like not open house, but realtor open? Who did who did the best ones? The, the best open? You mean for realtors to see your listing? Yeah, yeah. Like who? You, I mean, we don't. You know, we haven't done that in a long time. Obviously, in the pandemic world, but you've been to a lot of realtor opens. What are the What are the ones that stand out in your mind? Uh, well, uh, Danny Evans, uh, who works for, I think, World of Page and Lanny with Homelite for many, many years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Danny had a house out in, uh, I don't know, 20,000, but a state in, uh, off of Ross Road. He was at Province Paper, Champagne, and uh, and everything. That was probably the, the biggest and most exotic. They didn't do a lot of, uh, other than open houses, when I worked on the North Shore back in the you know late 60s and early 70s you go you didn't you know you went to an open house but they weren't serving uh, wine or or something to eat you just went to have a look at it it was a, a lot different i think that became more so in the valley i, I don't oh, remember really that. okay so that was that was out this way yeah i think so it probably that's where it started uh, certainly uh, abbotsford and when you tell realtors in other areas that's what you do they're saying really so I think we might have got a jump on it in the industry. I certainly didn't remember it uh, way back when. Interesting. I thought that that's funny. That exposes where I'm from. I, I thought maybe you've been doing that forever, but that was more of an Eastern Valley thing. Yeah, it's something that came out here. And, and a lot of realtors don't think it's worth the effort. Um, I think it's not just to promote your listing. And I think it enables you to, in a more slowed down uh, environment to meet and understand the realtors that you work with all the time or of course you don't see them all the time because of technology they show your house you don't see them they send an email your offer but in these agent opens you get to uh, meet them and and know them yeah realtors, and realtors we're all we're we're a different breed you know uh, <laughs> and uh, i'm proud to be one and there's a lot of terrific realtors out there and there's still a lot of them that just don't get it but uh, that's great. what did it what does it feel like to get to win the john armino award what kind of thoughts went through your mind early on when you found out well you know i was uh, i didn't really know that i was going to receive the award they conned me into coming in to talk about the history of the real estate board that's what i thought and <laughs> i can't believe that worked john I can't believe that, that, that although you said you kind of figured it out at the last minute, right? Yeah, that, that's right. Well, yeah, I, the morning of, I was thinking this doesn't quite make sense. And then I go in there and here's my name on a chair. So <laughs> I've been had, but, you know, it, well, it really means everything uh, to be recognized, uh, the career. You know, real estate hasn't been an easy, I, I started young, that I really have great successes all the way through, no. You know, did I fail? Yes. Did I get back up and dust myself off? I did. 
And I was trying to, you know, when, you know Chuck Mitt, as I mentioned, was really a, a huge turning point in my real estate life. And I tried to, you know, to, to do what he said to do, you know, treat everybody the same, just the way you want to be treated. It's not always possible. Uh, I'm not perfect. Uh, people that you try to work with, it doesn't work out, so you move on. But I, I think that's uh, any new people coming to the business or people that have been in other professions, this is a very difficult business. And you need the training, you need the plans, but you need the attitude. Mm. And you need to be proud of what you're doing. And we bring trust uh, to our clients. They want us to bring value because they trust us and they want us to guide them through this, you know, uh, difficult process. In this market that we're dealing with now, and I've seen it several times in my career, it's the worst type of market for everybody. I totally agree. Yeah. Nobody's really a winner, Andrew. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's a, di- a difficult market. And, uh, but it is what it is. So we deal with it. But Dave Rochelle this morning is right. You know, we could be plateauing. Things could be slowing down. Maybe we get back to normal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we still will be selling real estate. It's not doom and gloom if things slow down. Yeah. It's, uh, it's back to people that can breathe a little bit. Yeah. And we're still going to be here to help them full of empathy and sympathy for what they're going through. I'm a great realtor to help people out. As a buyer, I want it, I buy it. I can always fix it. As a seller, I hate the process. And several times in my career when I've been selling and have my homes listed, realtors have showed me their value and, and talked me through their process, believe it or not, realizing that this is the right offer, this is time to move on. So it's, so I understand both sides of the coin. It's not easy to be a buyer or seller and, or to be a realtor at times. Yeah, the emotions, there's so many emotions right now in this environment and you want to be as emotionless as possible, but it's difficult when things are so amped and there's so much pressure. That's right. Oh, you know, it's, and so you got to get up, be organized. You know, you got to have a, a, a plan. You've got to be able to follow through with what you say. And if you forget about your sellers and you forget about your buyers, and you don't keep in touch, guess what? They'll forget about you and they'll move on to somebody else. How do you look at the impacts of technology? Do you, like, and, and that comes in many forms, right? It comes in the way, like, the, the speed at which we can get information to consumers. But, you know, it also means that, you know, as a real estate agent, you're never able to unplug. Like, you know, I would imagine in 1985, when you left the office and went home, you were technically unplugged from from everybody having to do with with your job. And so... How do you like when you, when you just when you look at technology and everything it's done? Do you do you think of it as a positive or do you think as a negative? Like how do you how do you package that in your head and what how, what do you think about? Well, you know, uh, you know, I look at my uh, grandkids and they probably can operate the computers and Snapchat and all these other things better than I can, and they're you know eight or nine and ten and twelve, fourteen years old. It, but technology, we have to use it. This is uh, the our clients. Most of them want it, though some still don't have email. Back way back when, I can remember when I was the first one in the office to get a beeper, <laughs> like the the thing that you clip to your belt, the pager. You mean? It's no, it's a beeper, and what it was, somebody had your beep, beep your number, and they could page you. So I was quite smart about it. Here's my beeper, and uh, lo and behold, if it doesn't go off. And I'm thinking, oh, I said, it must be a client calling me. And it was uh, my wife saying, 
please bring home milk. <laughs> he gave it to the wrong client. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, I remember showing properties in Richmond. This is back like 1969. And, you know, you kept a pocket full of quarters because you had to find a payphone to call somebody. Hmm. And the company, the little company I worked for, just for a short period of time, one of these realtors that I met to the realtors at the round table. Yep. And uh, Joe had an office uh, on, uh, Joe Kwan, his name was on uh, Robson Street, and he owned half of Robson Street. And he, he had a radio telephone in his great big station wagon. So he says, look, take my car. You're going to Richmond. You're going to need to phone somebody. So that was a process. You called a radio operator with telephone company. They made the phone call for you. And then they asked the questions you want, and then you were, I was able to set up a showing on a house wow. through this radio telephone. And I can't remember what the bill was, but I'm going to say it was 3 or $4 at the time, which was astronomical uh, when you think gas was probably $0.25 cents a gallon um, or a liter, whatever it was at the time. And uh, But that radio telephone. So we've got all this stuff. It makes it far more fast-moving, and I've never seen it in my career than the last, you know, four or five, six years, if you don't get back to somebody who left a message for you, they've moved on. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, they want instant uh, reply, instant uh, information from you. If not, they'll get it from somebody else. And a lot of them know how to get all the information before they even call you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's very good technology. You have to use it online signing. I still go and see the majority of the clients I can when I'm presenting offers. Mm -hmm. Like when you're repping like a seller, you mean? Yeah, representing a seller or I've got a counter offer from an agent. I will go over. It doesn't matter if it's 10, 30 or 11 o'clock at night. If they want to talk to me, I'll go see them face to face because I think they should be able to ask me the question and I should be able to answer it for them. I, I think it's too easy to say, well, just shoot the offer over, I'll talk to you. I'll send it to you to sign. You know, I think we don't earn our value and our trust that way as much. And But the younger people, they think it's the greatest thing. And a lot of my clients, which I've been dealing with for 40-plus years, you know, three or four generations of families that I've dealt with, they're my age in their 70s and 80s. I go see them. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, that's what they're accustomed to. So that makes yeah, sense. But, right. but people, people who are entering the market right now who are 30 years old the, the, some of them are would, would probably think it's weird if somebody wants to meet face to face with them because they're just they're so accustomed to doing things through apps and technology that's right oh technology is fantastic and everybody doesn't embrace it when i first started the board and they had a computer it's a, this computer you could have had to put an anchor for your 50-foot boat that's how big it was <laughs> i had it in my little Glen Eyre realty office and we i had you know five or six salespeople, they used it. I never used it. I said, no, I'm not doing this. We had the tear sheets, little tear sheets that showed up in the office every morning and you uh, took the ones that you wanted to be showing people for the day or the week. And uh, that's how you uh, got the information. So now we got the MLS systems. We've got so much to help us, but it hasn't made our business completely easier either. It's uh, it's made it uh, a lot of times it's, it's I find it stressful. I'm sure lots of people do, but you sit down and uh, tick off uh, the uh, items on your list and move on. Yeah, the pace of the game has increased so much. 
as a result of technology. That that's what like I I feel like not that I grew up in that era, but I feel like in the 70s and 80s in general when you would leave and go home from work, you would actually unplug from work. And now I think a lot of the struggle that people have, I certainly fight it on a regular basis is just never actually being able to unplug completely because with technology we're just constantly in touch with everyone and everything. You know, you know, way back in, in, in when I started, I, I can't remember when it changed. I think it maybe changed in the early 80s, is that when, on the MLS listing, you had the seller's contact information. You phoned the seller direct to set up the appointment. Right. Then you went. There was a few realtors, one in particular in Surrey, when you got an offer on his, on his list, and he was a, a major lister, tons of the listings. Hugh Barlow was his name. He actually played hockey um, for the prior Canucks uh, team. Wow. And you got an offer in his house. He, he would, you'd phone him. He'd say, you go and present it yourself. And when you get it accepted, just drop a copy off of my office. <laughs> That's amazing. And he used to never measure the houses. He used to just paste them off, step them off. Wow. That was it. He said, that's how I measured it. But when you look at that and how it's changed till today, yeah, it's uh, it's really quite something. But when you look back at it, it was uh, really quite funny. But he was a really good guy to work with. He had lots of listings, and he wanted to help you sell them. So, but that's what he did. Hey, did you have one of those? Um, I don't even know what to call it. Those massive brick-looking phones, like when cell phones first came out. I I remember Ken Ends had. Um, one of those amazing brick phones. It looks actually like a sat phone, like a walkie-talkie that you'd have out in a in a war zone, and you would have it right in the middle of Senator's console on his vehicle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I had one. I was uh, what was I think Ken when they came out. This would be what years would this be? This would be the cell phones came out in the 80s. Yeah, so Ken might have had this in like the early, late late 80s, early 90s. I I was friends with uh, Ken's kid. So that was my early exposure to the real estate industry. And Ken was an absolute, you know, stud in the market, right? Like he was a top guy. And so I, uh, I saw him with this phone and I just thought it was the absolute coolest thing in the world. This was long before cell phones were, were small by any means. This thing was huge. Oh yeah. It was built into your car. I had one. I got through Cantel, I think it was. Yeah. $2,800, I remember. And uh, you bought it and my cell bills... So it must have been in the early 80s when things were rocking and rolling and that market was going on before the interest rates doubled. Uh, my cell bills were four or $500 a month. That's incredible. And that, like, a top agent in that time was doing, what, 100 grand a year? Uh, let's see, back then. So you, I would say probably probably that, probably 100,000 gross, maybe more. And there was, of course, always the exceptions. Sure. But, but $100,000 was a lot of money back then. Well, you were, before the market took off, you were, you know, the, when I came to Abbotsford, my first house was 47000 Yeah. You know, you look at the changes. And when I worked on the North Shore, I sold a, uh, houses in West Vancouver. One, I remember in particular, I sold it to somebody that wasn't a realtor. He came to that realtor, the round table. Uh, it was an appliance, uh, had an appliance company. And I sold him a house in the British properties on an acre and a half for $42,000 with a swimming pool. <laughs> that's unbelievable yeah, he was scared to move up because I sold his house for 30000 on a l- lower down in West Van he was scared to make that jump to, wow. into the 30000 range so it's all in perspective because of what people's incomes were uh, 
you know, my dad uh, never made more than $10,000 in his life. Uh, I made over that uh, in my first year of real estate. Hmm. And uh, so you, you look at it and thinking, uh, really? So it's, uh, but you have to have, have a balance with it. And this high pressure we're under, it's hard to do it. But we all know uh, that you need the training. We all know that you need to have a business plan and you keep working on it. If it's not quite working, then then reinvent it. But I, I see so many good realtors, whether they've been in another career or they are there new young realtors coming into the industry that uh, don't really have these plans or the training and uh, they're working away and they quit on their plan just about when it's going to uh, start working. Hmm. Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, we're fortunate in our office because we've got the Energizer Bunny Ray in Canada, and probably <laughs> the best trainer I've ever seen in the industry. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything Ray uh, explains to you and teaches us. Um, he did it in Fort St. John. I still can't believe uh, that you can sell 100 houses plus or properties in Fort St. John. because I haven't been to Fort St. John, but it's not that big on the map. <laughs> it's not much. It's not much. You know, and um, it's, it's hard work to be successful. And everybody, it took me a number of years to figure out until I got to the North Shore that you have to be a lister. And Chuck Mitten taught me that. Alan Affleck was the realtor over there that got me doing the cold canvas calling. And I realized, and then when I moved out to Surrey, I was switched on to it. That's all I did was go after listings other than Sunday, six days a week. Hmm. And then you have to have the skills in order to, to present and do things. And Tom Hopkins uh, was a, uh, a course uh, that I took from the States five days. He came to the Bayshore Inn and I did everything that Tom Hopkins said you had to do along with John Berzewicki was a, a, became a friend of mine and a partner. We worked at Mittens together, and he convinced me to, let's open our own company and move to Abbotsford. Uh, John was the best lister I'd ever seen, and he was 10 years older than me, high energy, but you have to have the skills. And I think that's it's sadly missed today, not just from going to get listings. A lot of agents don't know how to present offers. They don't understand what their buyer's thinking or their seller's thinking. They, I think they would, be, they would make a lot more uh, more successes come to be, uh, but they don't know how to do it because they're because they you think they're just you know whatever reading the numbers on the page and they're not they're not engaging in salesmanship or what do you mean by that? Well, I th- I think that there's lots of uh, agents because they write the offer they think the seller should be signing just like that. Why would you counter me? Why would you question me? Mm-hmm. They forget what they're there for is to help the person, the buyer or the seller that are processed, advise them on value. And if you've got a willing seller and you've got a willing buyer, it's not hard to get them to get together as long as uh, the prices are fair and you you show them as a buyer, here's what's happening. And as a seller, here's what's happening. And everybody wants to uh, buy the house that they've fallen in love with. And every seller would like to sell to move on as they retire or downsize and move up. But it may take, it doesn't have to be a quick process and, and, and not necessarily would be, but we're here to help the people through that period. And, mm. and I, and uh, I've told lots of realtors, if you would just listen to me, you've got a buyer that wants to buy this house. You've got a seller that wants to sell. I've got a really good buyer. We just, it may take time because everybody has to be comfortable with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Can't jam it through. I guess that's a, a sort of an odd word, but 
that's what I think some realtors feel. I'll just jam it through and move on. Well, guess what? It's, it's not going to happen, and you'd be a far better realtor if you just let the process happen. That's maybe a byproduct of the the growth of technology and its impacts in the industry. Do you think we we lean more on the tools and forget about the human element? I think so, Andrew. I think it probably is, and you know, and you get a lot of people that are very matter of fact about things or they just make decisions and move on. But the average person who's worked hard and able to get some equity built up in their house and they're raising their family and the, and all the costs involved there and, and they don't have, they're not making huge money. They really have to watch their budgets and we get paid really well for what we do, but we have to earn it. And we, and uh, I think, uh, that's a, a big thing for our industry and probably why we don't have the the greatest uh, look from the public and we get criticized. And it's probably deserved with the way some of the agents handle their business. Hmm. The majority of the agents that you and I work with at our company and across Fraser Valley, there's some terrific agents out there who are all proud to be a realtor. They're all trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, they're trying to uh, help everybody through the buying and selling uh, process. Yeah, I'm, you know, I would say, like, I've done this 18 years now, and I would say the professionalism in the industry is improving. It's better. You know, we can always point to the negative, but, and I can only imagine if you, you know, taking a, a 40 or 50 year, 50 year look as you can, you've got to be, I think we can say in general, we're, we, we're improving and getting better, don't you think? Well, absolutely. And it's, it, it, you know, it, it, it hasn't changed that we have to earn their trust, our clients, and we have to show value. That's the same, never going to go away. I did sell one house a number of years back. People from Seattle called me. They were referred to me. They bought a house in Chilliwack. They never saw it. Hmm. So 20 years ago, I tried to get them to drive up. They said, no, no, we're fine with it. We see the pictures. I had the virtual tour. I had things specially done, posted online for them. They would not come and see it. And they bought the house. I was shaking in my boots when I met them up at the door to give them the keys. And she said, it's my dream house. It's everything I've ever wanted. I just about fainted Hmm. because I was under pressure. But you know what? I think coming down the road, especially with new construction and uh, how that's presented by developers, a lot of people will be buying without viewing. And that's really what's happening, too, I guess, in these projects. There's the foundations in the ground. Here's the show suite. And so we've got that happening there, and it's probably going to happen in the used residential market, too. Did you get through the 80s unscathed? No, I wish I could say it did. Did it, <laughs> no. like, did it crush you, the, the interest rate hike? Yeah, well, I um, was doing a great thing, uh, selling lots of real estate, and then I decided I should be a developer. <laughs> Building an apartment block, I had a small subdivision. Uh, I decided to become a partner in a restaurant. I uh, was a partner in a mailing machine business. Wow. And um, I leveraged myself out. The banks were so easy. You just walk in and they would give you any money you wanted. I used my own money. And uh, one day it jumped from, I remember the first house I'd ever purchased was a house on Emerald Street. And I went to the bank, the credit union. It was a 12% mortgage. And I didn't lock it in. I'd always locked in for five years. That was you know, if in my short career made sure or a three-year 
and the interest rates doubled. It went from 12 to 24. Wow. Um, the loan on the apartment block went from 12 to 24. The loan on the rest, everything doubled. And you go, wow. And so uh, it was a, you know, there's an old saying that came out of this. It was all positive in the end. At the time, it was interesting, uh, for sure, is that uh, stupidity gets you into trouble. <laughs> and pride keeps you there. Wow, that's good. And you had to, so I ended up uh, back to square one um, and uh, get back to work. Um, and, you know, it was it was a difficult time. Uh, personally, my life uh, fell apart. I ended up uh, being a single parent. And uh, my, uh, David was five. My daughter, Marlo, was three. And so I raised them through all that. They didn't know what we were going through because even though it turned out to be a rental house, they didn't know that. They had stuff when they went to kindergarten at school, whether it was macaroni and cheese every night. They didn't know any different. Hmm. Uh, but it was um, uh, an interesting time. I learned from it, and I see people going through it. And uh, I take it, it's a tough thing. But you know what? There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and you'll all come out of it. A lot of people got hurt really bad. and But, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be an empire builder. I should have just kept doing what I should have been doing. You just buy some property, uh, but don't leverage yourself so into the big things because that you can get hurt. And I did. Wow. Does this environment we're in right now, I mean, I know it's not the same circumstances, but right now, you know, money is cheap and free and easy to get. Do you, do you see any correlation at all in any way from now to then? Well, I don't, it's not the same type of market. And, and, you know, when you BC, I mean, lower mainland, there's lots of, you know, was probably, if not the number one city in the world, if it's not Vancouver, it might be Sydney and New Zealand or in, in Australia, it might be London, England, I don't know. Yeah. Everybody wants to come to Vancouver or to BC or the lower mainland. And this, what's going on in the market, I belong to a, a referral group across Canada, so we do Zoom meetings. And the realtors in Ottawa or Wainwright, Alberta, or Nanaimo, or Victoria, or Edmonton, or Calgary, everything's the market's dead in, in the prairies. It's not. They're all experiencing the same phenomena, multiple offers, uh, shortage of listings. And I don't see the government uh, increasing interest rates, you know, from, say, 3% to 6 I don't see that happening, but I guess they could. So everybody, you know, should watch what they're doing and, and be sure they're able to handle it if they're getting into buying of properties. Everybody should own at least their own place. That surprises me over the years that a lot of people prefer to rent. Mm -hmm. And if all you had, whatever it is, your condo, your townhouse, um, and you pay your own mortgage off rather than being the tenant paying off the landlord's mortgage, it seems like a simple process. You own your, you're doing that, and then you move on to your next place in five or ten years and keep the first place. So at the end of the time you get to young couples get into their fifties or around sixty, you have two places paid for, and you haven't taken really any major risk. Hmm. And I think uh, you know for for retirement and, and what people look at, most realtors, which I find odd, they don't buy real estate. They sell it to their clients. Mm -hmm. 
there's lots of realtors that I don't know what I say, a smaller percentage that don't own anything. And then there's ones that only have one. And I, I find a lot over the years why they wouldn't look at what they're doing. They're helping everybody else establish themselves. And, you know, I've got some clients, one client is probably 18 properties I've sold them uh, since would be, uh, let's see, would be in the, since the mid 80s. And uh, they've bought, they've, they've remodeled, they've sold, they've moved out of really nice houses into townhouses where they were going to build a new house. And, and I, I, I just don't understand why realtors don't invest themselves. They don't have to be buying million-dollar houses. You can be buying $300,000 condos that rent for twelve or $1,400 a month. Mm-hmm. Million-dollar house and rent it and have a huge uh, uh, cash loss every year. So that that always amazed me, um, and some have been very good at it, and some of who have a lot of uh, not multi-family high rises or industrial buildings or uh, shopping malls. They own eight or ten houses, mm-hmm. and that's all they did is kept buying every two or three years a house, and then moving up to a little nicer one. And uh, remortgaging and using their equities and saving their money. That it seems to be an odd thing, but most realtors aren't good investors themselves. Well said. Hey, John, I, I want to be mindful of your time, but I got one last question for you before I, uh, before I let you go, because I know you're busy. What's your, if it's Friday night, long work week, you're kicking your feet up. What's your, what's your bevy of choice? What are you sipping on in order to relax on the weekend? Oh, well, uh, you know, not as uh, well. Usually, a nice bottle of scotch or a nice, a nice wine. You know, nothing's ex- that exotic anymore. If you're getting a little older, from Friday night, you know, pick up some Chinese food or some uh, something else to bring home, so Helen doesn't have to cook. Helen watches her shows in bed by eight eight thirty, has a cup of tea. I fall asleep in my chair watching YouTube. Somebody sailing in the Caribbean or fishing <laughs> in Australia. So that's about as exciting as it is. In the good old days, you met everybody at the keg restaurant on a Friday or Saturday night because that was the major hangout, which is in which is our office building. So uh, it's kind of interesting to uh, have the office uh, where the keg used to be. But uh, not it's not um, you know it's just it's uh, just quiet life, you know, and uh, not 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 anything too much. But it's uh, it's. You, you know, set Friday nights, what I'm thinking about, you know, the three or four or five houses I got to show the next day <laughs> and the following up uh, with your buyers and sellers uh, at the end of the week calls. And it's, it's all good. It's been a terrific journey and I don't see any reason why I'm going to stop. Uh, I l- love to see the success uh, and watch my son, uh, as you've commented. you know, David has, uh, found out what the answer is and uh, he has a plan to follow and he also works extremely hard mm-hmm. and uh, you know and like in your success in your career and you've earned it it's not something that was given to you you came in you you, you know understand the sales process you move through it your successes and there's so many other people out there that might not have the same personalities and is outgoing that are terrific realtors and it can be even better. And uh, that's, that's why I, I love being a realtor when I hear somebody and I always talk to them and I encourage them because it's been my 
greatest decision to make, become a realtor. I'm going to continue to do it and share my stories. There's lots of them I can share, lots of funny things that have gone on in offers and presentations over the years. And uh, uh, I started writing a book last year and put writing things down. And Oh, wow. As long as I can, my memory, I got to write them down or I'm going to start forgetting them, Andrew. But yeah, is, totally. Um, but it all goes back to doing the best for your buyers and sellers. And you won't have to worry about the success in your career. You'll have a very successful career. Wow. John, thank you for being generous with your time and doing this. I, I love hanging out and talking with you any chance I get and doing it in a way that we can record it and share it with everybody else is just uh, absolutely tremendous. So yeah, thanks again. Obviously, I hope to, uh, to see you around real soon. Yeah, my pleasure, Andrew. Thanks a lot uh, for reaching out to me. I really enjoyed it and you have a great day. Yeah, you too, man. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I love that man. He's so amazing. Uh, I hope you guys all got a glimpse of how incredible John is. I know you would have. I wish uh, I wish you could have seen a video recording of this conversation. I was smiling the entire time just because I'm just so overjoyed every time I get to shut up and listen to a guy who has, you know, 50-odd years of incredible experience, wisdom, and grace that he just loves to impart on those that he talks to. So there you go. That's an awesome part of your day for you wherever you find yourself listening to this uh john Corey in the flesh hope you guys are well enjoy the sun and we will be in touch again soon bye